Join us as we unpack emerging trends and changes in digital transformation with the executives, entrepreneurs, and investors responsible for shaping the future of their industries. In these interviews, you can expect to hear candid conversations about the future of technology and the role it plays at some of the largest organizations in the world. Our hosts are members of the Kunai team, an agency that has been building software products for over 20 years. Today, your host will be Tom Baldwin. Hello and welcome to the Kanai Podcast. Today I am here with Rajil Jain. Rajil is a data scientist who started his career at American Express, then moved to BizToCredit, and very recently joined as a data scientist at Facebook. Welcome, Rajil. Hey, thanks, Tom. How are you doing? I am fantastic. It's late on a Friday. I very much appreciate you taking the time to record. And uh, as we said earlier, you're between uh, me and a beer. So I'm very much looking forward to the conversation and uh, happy Friday. Happy Friday. And uh, it was comparatively short week. So yeah, uh, looking forward to the discussion and then a beer. <laughs> Absolutely. Same here. Well, thanks so much for joining. Um, we've had the opportunity to connect and uh, talk about your data science journey. And I think you have some tremendous insights to share with our community. So um, why don't we get started and talk about your career arc and how you started? Sure, definitely, Tom. So let me uh, take a step back. And uh, so I started my career uh, in the middle of last recession, 2009. So that was a time when I joined as a data scientist and started with American Express. I stayed there for about a decade uh, and uh, learned my way through, uh, you know, through the uh, regular corporate ladder. Uh, I spent a lot of time into risk management and writing in that domain, uh, doing my data science or analytics. Even the data science term as such got coined a bit later on. People used to call it analytics or data-driven strategy back in the days. And yeah, we were uh, building some fancy models back then, but we didn't realize that like, we are data scientists uh, as to code. And then, uh, yeah, over time, uh, it just kind of boomed up. And a lot of companies started realizing the potential of the data and how data should be the bedrock in terms of uh, taking any decision. So, yeah, I started my journey with Amex. Uh, uh, as I said earlier, I was part of the uh, underwriting or risk management division for long, for about five years, uh, particularly, you know, managing the credit card portfolio in terms of lending and uh, risk management for international markets. Then uh, about five years back or so, I, I started looking at US market particularly. And then uh, uh, after a while, I felt like, okay, I've done enough risk management, I've, I've learned enough. Uh, and especially the time I joined, like as I said, around the, risk, uh, around the last recession, it was a fantastic time to join, frankly. Uh, like, you know, I was one of those unlucky ones to go, edu uh, you know, graduated around that time. But in the hindsight, it was the right time to get graduated because I saw the pain the industry was going through right from the inside of a traditional bank, uh, how they were struggling, how they had to really force uh, their uh, their processes to really, uh, you know, face an event that has happened in like probably 70 years, right? Yeah. So it's amazing how a challenge is, is something that, uh, affords you the opportunity to really step up, whether it was 
uh, the Great Recession of 2008 or the current pandemic. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, right in between the pandemic or around the start of the pandemic was the time when I actually uh, changed job and, uh, and went to Bistro Credit. And um, before that, I was doing I was the director of product analytics at uh, American Express. And uh, my job was kind of, you know, uh, reinventing our products and Amex. Uh, particularly in the business domain, not many audience might know that uh, Amex is actually uh, has a decent presence in, in small business space as well. Uh, generally, people associate it with you know consumer space. Like, okay, I have my Amex, and I'm going to spend it. But a lot of business uh, businesses, particularly in US, who rely on Amex for their financing financing needs. So I think about spending ten years in Amex, I kind of uh, was itching to learn what really happens in the industry. Uh, after, uh, beyond Amex and beyond ba- big banks, how exactly in the fintech space uh, people are operating. And the reason why I kind of was interested to go into fintech because a few years earlier, probably four or five years earlier, I uh, was part of uh, a few initiatives within Amex, which were kind of mimicking fintech or trying to develop the technology uh, and the processes, which are more reflective of modern world and the kind of data we have available now and uh, the kind of processes we need in today's time to make lightning fast decisions so i was uh, lucky to be part of those those processes and uh, you know that journey and that kind of piqued the interest like okay i want to see like you know a bit more holistic uh, view uh, because in a big organization what happens is that you become an expert in one domain yes. but then at times you lose the eye or a hawkeye view of you know what's really going end to end so that uh, kind of uh, piqued my interest to go into best to credit and that experience was also wonderful because uh, uh, not only I got a Hawkeye view, and when I say Hawkeye view, just to coin it a bit better, um, as in Amex, I was in risk management and product analytics for like about two years. But in uh, uh, in Bistro Credit, I got a chance to influence right from the start, from marketing to sales to underwriting to servicing to collections, like the whole customer mm-hmm. journey in the fintech space and the technology behind it. And each and every step of this whole journey needs a decision to be made, whether that decision is like who to target, whether that decision is uh, what product to offer, whether that decision is, okay, uh, what to do, uh, what to do to, uh, you know, enhance my collection strategy. So every decision can be supported by the data. It's not like if data science is not there, people won't make the decision. It's just that it won't be optimal or rather people won't yeah. even know that it's optimal it, or not right it, it won't be as informed it won't be related to data it might be an emotional decision exactly and it uh, to be able to identify that both are important but um, you have the opportunity to make database to data based decisioning mm-hmm. is critical right and uh, not just that like uh, even in today's time scalability is important so once you have a data-driven framework or data-driven strategy, it's easy to scale. Otherwise, it's you know for big organizations, it's impossible to you know hire every every time you need to build a new product or you need to scale. You can't just you know keep hiring people. I'm not against hiring, but like it's not efficient. It's not really like you know it's not going to serve best to the customers. They're not going to get yeah. the right product and right price. So, so what you identify there is is something that I, I I'm thinking it's a data pipeline. I think it would be great for our audience before we delve into some of the product based discussions in and around data and analytics that you've built 
to talk a little bit about the overarching data process and some of the major elements of it. Right. So I'll, I'll stick to the data science part, part of it. Let me take a step back. Actually, there are a lot of steps involved when a data uh, kind of, you know, uh, comes to the company, uh, you know, comes. So there is a lot of engineering aspect to it. And as an advice to data scientists out there, uh, it's always good to understand the engineering aspects as well. In the market right now, there are data engineers and data scientists with slightly different expertise, but it's always good to have at least some sense how the data engineers are creating the data lake, how you, they are creating the pipelines, they are creating the ETL, so that eventually any data that is being collected Think of it this way, any data gets collected, goes into a lake, and then eventually you build your pipes so that an analyst or a data scientist has a more structured way of accessing that data, interpreting that data, and then communicating okay. the strategy to the leaders or decision makers. So uh, a data engineer is focused in on the data grooming elements. So uh, grabbing potentially new sets of data, bringing them together, munging the data, cleansing the data, um, presenting the data, and a data scientist is then consuming that data? Right, precisely. And just to add on that, uh, I think you have perfectly defined the job of a data engineer. What data scientist does is that many times uh, it's kind of a combined term. So many in many places, the same person ends up doing end-to-end -end everything. Uh, I've done in, in my own <laughs> places when these terms were, were loosely defined 10 years back, we used to do everything from end-to-end. -end. But now it's, you know, the first part of it is more about engineering. So data engineers kind of are more specialized into creating data lakes, make it more efficient and whatnot. And through that spectrum, there's a point when data scientist kind of steps in. And data science, you can think of it as a bit more hybrid between a business person and an engineer. So he kind of takes it, okay, now that I have the data, now yeah, that person also has some engineering or you know, coding skills, and then they can interpret the data, uh, further refine the data, put some hypothesis out there, understand the business, and then try to use this data to solve a business problem. And that's important. For a data engineer, it's a mathematical or a data problem. For a data scientist, it's a business problem that they're trying to solve using the data. So the whole way of thinking is different. And is the data scientist building the algorithms? Yes. More often than not, data scientists would be building the algorithm, uh, or at least they'll be guiding like what kind of algorithm should be built, what should be the strategy. They may not end up actually coding because that's something engineer could do it a bit more efficiently, but uh, that's probably the loose uh, definition I would put out there. Okay, okay, and 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 so that data scientist is interpreting the data and um, the whole set and the the potential insight gained, and uh, and then from that basing uh, some level of accuracy to right. the interpretation? Right, so let me start it with this way, like what's the objective for data scientists? And uh, it depends on, you know, uh, what's the business problem at hand? So let's say, uh, you know, the business problem at hand could be anything, whether you're talking to a CEO or a particular division, let's say, uh, let's say you are a, a marketing head for a particular company and you want to figure out like, okay, what should be my marketing strategy? Whether I should put more money into a digital space or whether I should hire more people to call up. As, as simple as that, right? That could be a simple question to answer. And of course, the marketing person will have his, 
his or her own hunch like okay maybe this thing gets uh, sounds better but you know who who's going to tell the truth so the data science scientist first has to understand the business problem like what is the real decision that needs uh, that is pending then he or she needs to understand okay now that i have a pool of data the data lake that engineers have created which has everything is there a data uh, a set or data uh, you know data element that i can choose or a metric i can define which can help me answer the question that my chief of marketing is asking so this is the bridge that they are building between an engineer and a business person so now Perfect. yeah that discussion will evolve and the data scientist would turn that business problem into a data problem then they'll help they'll get help some help from the data engineer they'll have their own expertise to figure out like okay this is uh, they, they'll do their own uh, you know hypothesis testing like they'll build some hypothesis okay maybe i'll test it out i'll do something like you know i'll figure out like okay i have to figure out whether a telephone thing would work or whether a, a digital thing would work who are my target segment what are the questions here what are my limitations here what is it that data can tell me and what is it that data cannot tell me so a data scientist is well aware of the limitations of the data as well so yes then the analysis is then uh, uh, the whole data is now then you know cut in a certain way so that it kind of gives you the answer and then uh, it's not the end and that's where a lot of data scientists kind of you know especially the early ones you know not so tenured or not so experts one they are good at uh, basic skills basic engineering skills understanding the problem they dissect the problem and everything but what they need to learn and that's how you know uh, you groom as a leader is that how do you use those ex- uh, pieces that you have created using your analysis to create a fine business story because at mm-hmm. the end of the day the objective is to solve a business problem right no one is going to give you a big dollars just to solve a mathematical problem yeah. right unless you are yeah, doing absolutely. research <laughs> So, 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 so let's yeah. uh, let's double click into that. Yeah. So you've had the opportunity at Amex and and now other places to take a problem like lending mm-hmm. and and then associate it to that uh, whole data science landscape that right. we just spoke of. Um, take us through. uh the 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 a day in the life sure definitely and uh, i'm glad that you uh, brought that up lending is particularly you know uh, my expertise and i have done a lot of work into lending space both in consumer and in small business world um and it, it's a very fundamental problem that you know businesses particularly face uh, especially in today's times in uh, with the covid uh, and the recent ppp and everything is going on so i mean without going into those details let me let me take a step back and uh, uh, tell you like you know what kind of problems generally as a lender you face so for example uh, let me take an example of pricing so let's say you have a product uh, let's let's say you have a, a business loan product or a merchant cash advance kind of a product and you are a big bank or a small big uh, bank doesn't really matter you have a certain product and you have a certain audience that uh, you may attract for that product what happens is that uh, there are two things that are in, into the play right how best your product is and how best your marketing is right so yes on the marketing side you could do a lot in terms of reaching out to a lot of people and trying to optimize your dollars there like okay use your google facebook whatever and then you know use your digital journeys to uh, get more people click on your ads and finally convert them 
so that's probably the task of a marketing a marketing team uh, i'll rather focus on a, uh, on the product side like okay what is the product in finance a loan is a product or a credit card is a product right and it comes with a lot of features around it for example i'll take an example of a loan here right so let's say you are a business owner and you want to apply for a loan what are the things that you, that you need in that you need the money that you want let's say you need $10000 you need $10000 you're not going to get just $1000 and be okay with it right so the amount you need is the first important thing you know for a small business owner and what price or what term so for how many duration for example right now if i'm a business owner i would prefer you know a longer duration so that um, i can really use that money to and to put into my business whether it's a renovation or hire more people or whatever it is and then you know generate more money out of it and eventually pay it off right so i need amount i need the right duration you know so that you know i have sufficient time to pay it off and then uh, at the end of the day what's the price like you know what's the cost of it so all these things are important and what happens is that now let's say that's a business problem as a data scientist it becomes a variable for me look okay now that i have a product i have three uh, features to optimize because let's say i give higher amounts i am going to run a problem of risk management right because if i give too much money probably that person is going to run away right if someone yeah. lends me like 100 million probably yeah, i'll run away but if someone lends me just $10000 no way i'll pay it off because i don't want to ruin my credit right so yeah. every person has this point that after that you don't want to lend that person too much because that's the capacity and that's the basic principle of risk management so uh you want to figure out as a lender like okay if person a is asking x dollars can i give him or her x dollars or not uh-huh. and if so what is the price at which i'm comfortable right so at the end of the day it uh, now let's say as a customer i'm going to multiple banks or multiple lenders every lender is assessing my risk profile okay. and figuring out with a number coming out with a number okay we can give you loan or we cannot give you loan if we can okay this these are going to be our terms now as a customer i have the right to choose right i can go to five banks uh, for example if i'm going to take a mortgage i'll probably go a mortgage shopping whoever gives me the best terms i'll go with that sure even that should be incorporated in your strategy so you should not be just thinking that okay uh, i have to make the most money so let me charge a lot of money lot of interest no the more you raise the price uh, the chances of taking that loan yeah. acceptance is going to go down so it's always yeah. an optimization between different numbers it's never so, like you know just maximize the profit it never works like uh, that. absolutely you need to optimize to volume as well right so how much do i have to loan <laughs> and 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 what are the factors that i can shift and change uh uh term time can i change the amount of money to your point can i right right yeah. precisely and uh, that's what happens with you know and uh, uh, as a senior risk manager or senior data scientist the more uh, you understand the data the more you understand the strategies uh, you just not only fix you know minor loopholes and figure out uh, and, and make sure your processes are more efficient you always have a look at okay two years ahead three years ahead how's the economy doing uh, how are my interest rates doing uh if i distribute too many loans you know for a longer term how is it going to affect my portfolio in future so you know even having that long time perspective is something very important and that is something uniquely that our last recession taught us uh in terms of overall industry that mm-hmm. not just short term profits but even in a long term uh the banks should be capitalized enough they should have enough reserves 
So even if there is a downturn or something, they're not going burst. So uh, yeah, and a lot of firms, sadly to say, like, you know, especially in the online lending space without taking any name, a lot of fintech startups who were kind of rising, uh, uh, you know, uh, hang, uh, uh, flying high before COVID, especially the balance, balance sheet lenders, they kind of either went burst or, you know, got acquired because they found it very hard to cope up with the COVID onslaught. While at the same time, I yes. would give it to the bigger banks or, you know, uh, who, lenders who have been learning from the last recession, those have been still around and then, you know, they're going strong. They know like, you know, how to deal with it. And uh, yeah, so that's how as a data scientist and as a lender, yeah, I would advise my clients as well. And when you gain the insight and you've built a level of accuracy around it, um, how do you determine that accuracy is is good it, it just seems like such a tough problem to solve for to say it's accurate or what percentage accuracy and and how does that occur so uh, i would say perfect question and a lot of uh, bread and butter for a data scientist is you know two numbers accuracy and recall <laughs> that's something and a lot of people keep talking day in day out and uh, probably some of them don't even totally understand what this means. Uh, so the idea is that uh, at the end of the day, whatever, let's say, as a data scientist, uh, you know, to figure out uh, the, you know, uh, the right uh, people to target, I'll probably build a response model and figure out, okay, okay, if I target to this person, the chances of converting are high. But at the end of the day, I want to make, or for example, I'll take a different example, especially in the credit risk world, there are default models. So any lender would kind of predict what's the default risk. And accordingly, you know, they'll define a cutoff, okay, beyond this point, we're not going to lend to the person because they, they seem too risky. Now, the point is, looking at the historical data, you could see how accurate your models are. It could be that your models are very accurate. They fit the historical data perfectly, but they may or may not stand the chance of, you know, in the future. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So even though accuracy is something everyone aspires to, I strongly, you know, advise people to kind of uh, uh, always take a step back and have a view on A, accuracy, B, recall. So basically, you're not missing out a lot of population as well. That's recall. And C, beyond accuracy and recall, how is your model performing, you know, in a different time? For example, let's say you learn from 2008. So, and now try to apply it here. So create different yeah. scenarios, different versions and see like, you know, even though one of the versions could be more accurate, looking at the historical data, a leader or a data science may end up choosing a model, which is probably less accurate, but more stable. So yeah. stability yeah. is another dimension on top of accuracy that sometimes, you know, needs to be vain. And to your earlier question, like how do someone define like what level of accuracy is good or what level of, you know, stability is good? Again, everyone has a different benchmark. So it's sure. really hard to say. And uh, not just uh, like every person, it, it depends on what, you know, what product, what problem you're working on. But generally speaking, let's say a very, very mathematical term, let, let's say you're building a model and you have like a R square of more than 0.8 or 0.7. People generally feel comfortable with it. Like, okay, the, the genie is more than 0.7. So let's say, you know, yeah. I, I have a comfortable uh, or decent model, which is predicting, you know, good. And one principle that, uh, I'm not sure how many of our audience is available, uh, aware of the Pareto principle. So what it says is that, uh, I mean, in, simply speaking, uh, in my 20% uh, of my efforts 
should drive 80% of my results so that is a simple principle so i would suggest like anyone who is building a model out there if you are following in general in life as well 2080 rule that should work out so you do your 20% of efforts right so that you kind of kill 80% of the problem don't worry about the remaining 20% of the problem because then you'll have to really do 80% of the efforts to uh, reach there so that's all put it out there uh, uh, always a factor so uh, if i think about today all the write offs that banks and credit card companies are taking um uh so based on on covid and the unemployment rates and um uh how they've dramatically increased yeah. uh is that considered a stability factor or how how do you factor in a big event like that in, that was unknown prior to right so uh, as you said uh, rightly that of course right now it's a bleeding market a lot of banks have you know uh, are facing the pain but i would still say that uh, uh, most of the banks in in general overall financial system is much better prepared this time than the last recession because they actually learned from a lot of banks at least learned from last recession uh so what i would say is that i'm not saying that everything is good and you know like uh, 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 uh no it's not but at the end of the day are you having enough reserves are you able to uh, keep those reserves as per you know these unexpected events so what happens is that and in uh, without going too technical in the risk management principles uh, there are two two things that can happen one is expected like for example i'll, I'll take a random example we are expected to die one day right like it's not like we're going to live forever but then there are unexpected events like i would get get a you know be in a crash uh, uh, tomorrow so we can always predict that okay i'm going to live for let's let's say 80, 80 years and probably the chances of that are highest so it's easy to predict that but to predict that okay i'm going to you know uh, be in a crash tomorrow the chances are very small but if it happens it's going to be very very severe so it's always a combination of frequency and severity so what happened with last recession is that uh, everyone was training their models on the historical data let's last 5 years 10 years and before 2008 even the last 10 years were all good so all the models were you know saying like oh this is good this is good every person is good just lend money to everyone so what happened after 2008 is that you know even the good defined based on pre 2008 didn't work out but what it told us is that okay now we know like when the uh, uh, you know when bad things happen this is how bad it could go so now everyone has a sense like okay it could go like you know this bad so now while i'm planning for next year i can always say like okay uh, even though there are like 90% chance that nothing bad would happen but even if there is like a 1% chance that something really bad happens and my revenues is going to drop like by 50% my losses are going to like be uh, higher by 100% uh, am i still profitable how do i make decision you know if that severe case happens so and i know for for sure like a lot of banks did that planning and a lot of regulations happened around it with all the bezel framework coming in by the regulators like asking the um, banks and financial institutions to keep that as a reserve not just for expected risk for unexpected events so all that framework was created all the guidelines were created by the regulators so that really helped the overall financial system uh, so that's why you feel like you know such comparatively a person like me who has seen the last recession i can definitely say that uh, comparatively less pain i'm again not saying anything it's it's a painful time for a lot of people a lot of families so 
with due respect, comparatively lesser impact than the previous one. Excellent. So um, share with our audience a something that is new and interesting happening in the data science space. Um, what is something that you're excited about? Okay. I mean, I would say in a particularly data science space, I would say uh, a lot of things are moving. Technology is moving very fast. So things we used to do like in three days, 10 years back, now those things are possible to do like, you know, in probably 10 minutes, if not more. So the mm -hmm. technology is moving very fast. What that means is that everyone has to be updated. So you can't be, you know, uh, using the technology which you learned back in the school 10 years back. That's obsolete. Yeah. No one is using that anymore. So yeah. what I would say is that uh, what's exciting happening is that, you know, with the rapid scale of technology, frankly, it's, it's a... a uh, not just that you know technology is improving even the complexity of the technology it's getting simplified so mm -hmm. it's not like you have to be updated and it's a very uh, you know very hard exercise it's not because uh, at the end of the day things are becoming more simple as you go and even more complex and complex things are now coming in a small pocket and just on a click of a button you could do a lot of fancy and complex analysis which used to take like weeks 10 years ago uh, so absolutely and, it's, and that's the reason uh, a lot of uh, newcomers, fintech startups are actually winning in this piece because the technology they, they have built in the last five years, 10 years, it's the new systems, new technology, and they're able to kind of, you know, move along uh, as the uh, uh, systems are progressing. Well, the bigger banks, they may have the foot, uh, uh, you know, large footing and large customer base. They are slightly struggling with, you know, uh, trying to move that elephant to, you know, in a particular direction and uh, yeah. that's why you would see like a lot of uh, bigger banks have kind of either um, uh, instead of building their own technology what they're trying to do is that either acquire a smaller one a smaller company or you know get in partnership with all these tech firms so all that kind of dynamics is happening in data science space uh, absolutely and uh, and why you're a data scientist and i'm not I, I guess I look at it and all the, the different componentry. Um, we used to think about, okay, an ETL tool and a database, but now we have batch process, we have streaming with Kafka, we have a, a thousand different tools at our potential disposal. I guess I don't think of that as simple. <laughs> uh, definitely. Again, it's it's not simple. Of course, we are still improving day by day as a data science in general, the field. But uh, yeah, I would say at least in terms of the processing power we used to imagine 10 years back, uh, that has changed significantly. Uh, yeah. So yeah. things we could only imagine that I'll be able to use my models and learn from like, you know, a lot of data. Previously, it was only possible for maybe one or two big companies who could actually afford those kind of uh, technology to, you know, really process that amount of data. Now, with time, with a lot of technologies available, even for the smaller businesses, it's competitive or, you know, smaller firms, it's getting yes. a bit more easier for them also to kind of process the big, big data. Data and, uh, science yeah. has been democratized. That Definitely. is one of the biggest shifts I have seen. Exactly. The, opportunity at such a lower cost to enter into sophisticated data analysis. Right. That's precisely it. Like, you know, it's definitely have democratized a lot. I still feel like there is still a long way to go, uh, but I'm pretty excited how, you know, things are progressing. 
uh, and it, it's kind of you know any technology the way it works is that exponential it takes time but once it starts like you know the ball rolling everything's fit together and then you know it's an exponential increase so we are in the in a space right now where uh, data science as a field uh, is really exploding and i'm pretty hopeful that in the next 10 years we'll see even a, uh, a, we'll probably make more progress than what we have made in last last 50 years so that's how it generally works so. absolutely absolutely so um uh, anything additional you'd like to share with the audience i i would just you know take five more minutes maybe to speak more about you know generally as a data scientist uh, how one should operate what are the tips and tricks and you know what generally should people look at so as uh, probably i was mentioning earlier before that uh, there are multiple pieces pieces as a data scientist that you operate on so trying back to my previous example as a data scientist you are talking to a business person and trying to solve a business problem whether you are solving it for a, your ceo or for a, a particular business person what happens a lot of times that people go to uh, understand that problem figure out like okay these are the probably data elements that can help me solve that problem or give me a direction where to go they consult the uh, the business person and consulting is a big part of a data scientist because at the end of the day you have to sell your story like this is what data tells me and mm-hmm. uh, without uh, you know trusting uh, uh, instead of trusting anything else or any anecdotal evidence i'll trust my data more and i'll make sure like you know it kind of ties back to the anecdotal evidence or gives me a perspective how to look at that anecdotal evidence in and then consult the person now that part of the journey as a data scientist a lot of people talk about and kind of understand that it's important uh, what i've seen many times is that data scientists get too attached to the data and they believe that you know their analysis is like perfect and you know whatever they are telling is the ultimate truth so that is a fallacy that as a data scientist you should avoid and always always restore to the experimentation so what i mean by experimentation is that for example scientist the actually you know uh, let's say uh, pharma you know in the pharma space or medical space when scientists build a drug they launch it they test it out on a sample they do their own testing and then they launch it for the larger population but they don't stop there they keep innovating right because it's it's never like a perfect drug which is going to cure a particular disease it's always going to have some side effect and then mm-hmm. next time you learn those side effects go back to your design table try something more put some changes in the formula now test it out again now it's a better version than before and the this cycle goes on right Absolutely. you never feel like oh i'm the god i'm like 100% right no it never happens it's never done it's never done and that's the mindset that data scientists should have of experimentation let's say based on the data available right now this is the strategy but can the strategy include an experiment in it is it possible to have some cost but at the same time you know do some kind of testing around it so that you know and and as in the science uh, a lot of time we do all this lab testing on rats and what not and the generally it's called ab testing that you have two similar sure. looking people and then you know you give uh, a half a group a placebo and the half a group of actual drug and then you figure out like you know how really effective this drug is similar mindset similar methodology in data science you have to do you change your strategy you do it for let's say 80% people 20% people don't do it can you afford to not do it that is a call you have to take as a data scientist and a business leader can you afford to uh, you know not roll out your best strategy for 10% or 20% or maybe 5% of your population but use it or treat it as a cost to learn and next mm-hmm. time you know even get a better one so that's the mindset that uh, data scientists should get into uh, to continuously learn and iterate 
and then eventually you know try to get better at it and uh, yeah i mean one last thing i would say is that a uh, lot of time uh, especially you know uh, when data scientists are new passing out from colleges or like the first few years they feel like oh if i use this fancy you know hard technical method then it might drive a lot of impact it's been a decade i would say a lot of time you would figure out like simpler things like cleaning the data right making sure that you know your hypothesis is right making sure that you know you're simplifying your problem so much so that you're able to communicate your insight to the right person that actually makes more difference than uh, yes. trying a fancy method out so that would be yes. my advice to the viewers as well so so don't keep your head in the technology but know that how you're introducing your insights to the the your consumers right um is as critical if not more critical mm -hmm. and uh and always work the data right uh, right fantastic i i very much appreciate it this has been a an incredibly informative talk um i've learned a lot i very much appreciate the time and have a wonderful rest of your friday regil thank you tom i i uh, love talking to you and it was a wonderful experience uh, coming here so yeah have a great friday you too thank you thank you Thank you.